Good afternoon. Okay, 24th of February, uh, Singaviel's fortnightly Google Hangout. Um, remember, we are CPD accredited, and um, anybody who's watching and would like a CPD certificate afterwards, um, please get in touch. Um, also, please do follow us on YouTube. Follow, if you could please sign up to the YouTube channel, you'll get early notifications of everything we're dealing with. Okay, so we've got me, Neil Singer, today. We have Richard. Richard, hello. Guys, will you turn, turn your microphones off, will you, in a moment? Otherwise, otherwise we're going to get back um, feedback. And we have Richard. Richard and Dale. Sorry. <laughs> Don't see you enough. I get confused, right? And, and uh, Neil Singer, myself. Right, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk today about blockchain. We're going to talk about auction results, and we're going to talk about the market generally. So guys, shall I start with blockchain then, yes? Should we talk, start with blockchain? Okay, if everyone watching, I'm going to share a screen with you. So you should be able to see blockchain on your screens, yes? Okay. If you start reading about the topic, you will see many com commentators are claiming that blockchain technology is more significant and far-reaching than the creation of the internet. So what is blockchain? So I'm going to try and explain as a non-technician non to people who are watching, or I assume are mainly non-technicians themselves. Okay, so this is what blockchain is defined as on Wikipedia. So it is a distributed database that maintains a continuously growing list of ordered records called blocks which probably doesn't mean, mean too much to many people. Now, the reason there's so much interest in blockchain technology is that it is immutable. So once a record is created, it is secure. The information is guaranteed and it can be 100% relied upon. So this has huge implications for disintermediating third parties in data transactions, such as credit card companies and banks. And commentators are claiming that the platform has far wider applications, returning privacy, enabling um, access to finance by individuals who otherwise are unable to verify their identity, remo removing voter fraud, etc. Okay, so blockchain is an is an open, distributed, decentralized public ledger, which is recorded on numerous computers in a manner that cannot be changed retrospectively. And the inability to hack and falsify data is the reason why blockchain databases are regarded as so secure and why there's so much interest in this technology. Um, so let me show you a how blockchain is created. Then I'm going to talk to you about um, decentralization. And then I'd like to um, then give you um, an, ex an example transaction. Okay, so I would recommend that uh, anybody watching does afterwards have a look at this um, YouTube video by a chap called Anders Brownworth. It's called Blockchain 101, a visual demo, which I'm going to use some of his... Um, uh, screen captures because it's an excellent uh, explanation of what blockchain is. So I would have a look at that. So let's first of all go into right, what is a hash? Now you may have heard the expression of what is a hash. A hash is a fingerprint of a piece of digital data represented in the form of, of a long string of series of letters and numbers and this is unique to the data entry and encryption technology generates the hash which is associated with the data in, in question so a hash chain is the successive application of a what's called a cryptographic hash function 
to a piece of data and a hash chain is a method to produce many one-time keys from a single key or password and again that is an that is a definition of wikipedia now this probably sounds a little bit confusing so probably the, the easiest thing to do is to explain by giving you some uh, visual input here so let's have a look here now okay now the first image that i'm showing you here this this is showing some data input being encrypted and forming a hash and you can see how the previous hash is used to create the next hash. So in this example here, you can see block one, you can see you've got um, data, a data entry field here, and all this information, block, nonce data, all this creates a hash by encryption technology. This hash 000157 goes into the following block and it forms part of the next hash along with 235230 data entry points, etc., And that goes to the next block. So the previous hash is used to form the next hash. So if somebody wanted to try and um, uh, falsify data, you have to change the, all the previous blocks which are actually creating the current block. Now, if you look at this example, this is again, this is blocks three and blocks four in the chain that I just showed you. And you, you can see that where it's pink below, we've put two letters in, we've put high. And high, because it's changed the data entry, it's changed the hash at the bottom. So instead of being 00B90, it's now 9D1C. And then 9D1C forms the next previous um, uh, hash into the following block. So because the data entry of high, it's changed all the following blocks. And that's, that sort of tries to give the idea of the chain. Um, now, th the other point to note is, is that this data entry can be anything. It can be two letters, or it could be entire writings of a book. It generates a different hash. And in terms of a chain, you know, one after another forms the block. So if you imagine you had 100 um, items of data forming one block, and then that one block becomes one of the next 100 in the following block, and then that one block becomes one in the in a following hundred of the next block, so the thing goes on and on and on, on. And that's the that's the idea of why changing one is impossible because you have to change every sub everything follows. Now let me talk about decentralization and why, again, this is another reason why blockchain is such a powerful technology. Now imagine you log on to the John Lewis website and you buy something online. You're looking at their online shop. Now, the website is held on a computer, so this means it's held centrally. I'm sure that John Lewis will have mirrors continually sending data backwards and forwards between a number of computers. So if one were to crash, you as a website viewer, you would notice, and you'd automatically be redirected um, to their mirror. However, in effect, well, you are looking at one centrally held area of data. And this means that a hacker has a point to target. And in terms of data, um, a, sing a single owner. Now blockchains, rather than holding data centrally, they store data um, across a network. It's decentralized. It's running across many computers throughout the world, so there's no one vulnerable point, and that's the whole point about decentralization. So hence, hence why breaking the many blo blocks on multiple computers globally becomes what appears to be an impossible task. Um, in order to change one block, you've got to change all the blocks in the chain. 
and all the blocks across all decentralized copies of the blocks. Now, what occurred to me, I don't know if, if you ever watched um, the Terminator movies, you'll remember that when the machines take over, Skynet goes live, and Skynet has infected millions of computers throughout the world, so there's no one place for the attack. Well, it seems to me it's exactly the same thing um, with blockchain. Now, I'm not suggesting that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is suddenly going to appear, <laughs> but perhaps the gentleman called Satoshi Nakamoto, who in 2008, he conceived the blockchain ideology, maybe was sitting on his sofa having some popcorn and he thought, what a great idea. And that, but it seems to be the same sort of thing. Right, let's move on. Let's move on. Right, I, I'm now going to show you an example, because if I can explain in a, 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 show you a real example, I think this again will help to explain the technology because it is complicated. Now, I've shown you how te technology can be shown to be extre extremely secure with blockchains. So let's consider a use. Now, there are many data transfers which could, we can also think about, which, which would benefit from security and such reliability. But you've probably heard about Bitcoins. Now, Bitcoins operate on the blockchain. Now, this, it's a cryptocurrency, um, and uh, I'm going to demonstrate live how it works. Now, if you go to blockchain info, which is um, a bit confusing, actually, let me turn back a minute, a bit confusing because blockchain info is a, is a, a URL um, just for one particular blockchain, not the blockchain, one blockchain, but it's the blockchain upon which Bitcoin operates. And you'll find here a definition of what is a Bitcoin. And a Bitcoin is a digital currency in which transactions can be performed without the need for a credit card or central bank. It's designed to enable users to send money over the internet in a very simple and efficient way. Now, you may have heard of what's called a, um, a Bitcoin wallet. So this is my Bitcoin wallet on my phone. And um, anybody wanting to get a Bitcoin wallet, it's very easy. It's like, it's like downloading any application. All right, I'm going to move on and show you an actual transaction. Right, so this is my, this is the same, this is my wallet on a, com on, um, a computer. And you can see here that there are two transactions. And know that they've been confirmed, which means that they've been verified across multiple computers. And let's investigate one in a bit more detail. And you can then see again and understand, hopefully, how the blockchain operates. So if we click on the bottom one, which says transaction confirmed received, this opens up into another view. And there's a few things to note about this view. The first thing is at the top, you can see this is a this is a um, uh, the, 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 the script code of the particular transaction that I referred to. You can see that this is a movement of um, 0 .00, uh, um, 0.00228 bitcoins. It's gone from one bitcoin wallet to another, and it's gone to a wallet which is 1LV. That's actually the ID for my particular bitcoin wallet. This transaction has been recorded in a block called four, number 446726. Now let's if we, let's explore that a bit further and click on this particular key here. You can see the two transactions. You can see that again, I gained here what to one LV, and then one LV sent money to this to this um, wallet. These are unique identifiers, and you can see the transaction code. So that's basically that's showing the transfer of data. But the key point to all this is if we go a bit further, this is the um, view I just showed you. 
And this shows the first transact, this shows a transaction and the transaction is 64277698. But if you then explore it a bit further and we click on 446726, this is the actual blockchain. You'll see here, this is the, this is the blockchain in question and this is where this transaction has supposedly been recorded. Well, if we then investigate this and we go do a search, you'll see this transaction is one of a whole host, a myriad of transactions. And in fact, let me just, if I change, if I can just change the, um, the view a moment. I want to share this screen with you. So this is, this is that block live. And you can see here, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of transactions. And all these transactions are formed into the block 4-4 that I mentioned to you earlier. So you can understand that if you want to hack and change a block, you're going to be changing the records of all subsequent information, which has got other transactional data in it, with its own unique keys. Now, I can't, let's just stop here. Let's just have a look at one of these. I let this one here, this transaction, which was re re referring to 0.178 bitcoins. I can't see who has sent and who's received it because I haven't got a key, my my key on my uh, uh, wallet to open it. But if I, if this related to my own transaction, as I showed you earlier, I can see a bit more detail where I've actually sent the money. But what, what's also interesting is some of the size of some of these transactions. I mean, they the the um, look far seven. Some of these are 39, 39 Bitcoins. The Bitcoin exchange rate is at the moment is around a thousand pounds of Bitcoin. So these are proper transactions that are occurring across the network. So hopefully I've sort of explained a bit um, about how the bit, how blockchain is working. Um, and if anyone's got any questions, um, then please do enter, enter them and I'll try and I'll try and explain as best I can. So let's just now think about the um, applications, the property industry and the implications. Well, I think it's worth considering a simple transaction before we focus too much on property. So I often send money to, to South Africa. In order to do so, I buy currency from a broker. I have to, uh, which I use currencies direct. Um, I've got to fill in a form online. I've got to buy the currency. I've got to send the money to currencies direct. They then have to send the money to South Africa. It goes into an investec bank account. The investor bank account then asks me to complete a form. I have to complete a form, and then having completed the form, the money gets released, and then I pay my supplier. Now that whole transaction can take three, four days, but with a Bitcoin transaction, I can open the wallet on my phone, I can enter my, my supplier's ID, I can press a button, and instantly the money's gone there. It's gone straight into his wallet. All that happens, it has to, be, has to form part of the next block, that takes about 10 minutes to be um, validated um, on computers and then it's replicated on a decentralized network throughout the world. That is, that's how quick and easy moving money around the, is by blockchain technology. I've actually taken out all the intermediaries, I've removed the bank and I've removed currencies direct and this is why it's so significant for the financial industry because if you're going into a shop and you're saying, I'm good for my money, I'd like to buy a good off you, uh, the way you validate who you are is you give them a credit card and the credit card is being verified by the bank who've done their ID and is confirming to the retailer that you're good for your money. But if you don't need 
that credit card comes to validate it because your Bitcoin transaction goes straight into their wallet, the credit card companies disappear. And the reason for their, their charges they um, levy disappear. It's got huge implications to the financial industry, as you can imagine. Now, let's think about property. Imagine you're selling a property and uh, we did a blockchain transaction. We would agree a price. Um, you'd instruct your solicitor. And the solicitor's got two main roles. The solicitor validates that I own the property that I'm actually selling you, and he also checks the title. But what if he didn't actually have to validate that I own the property? Now, because of this, there's a lot of interest in creating um, uh, blockchain records of ownership of property. And again, I can show you a couple of examples going on, that, which are just um, starting at the moment. The first one, this is the Republic of Georgia, which um, the council there are now putting all the records of title deeds into a blockchain. And the reason they're doing it is to, uh, to enable someone to prove ownership of a piece of land, not by going to a title register, but by having an encrypted piece of information. There's another, there's another um, uh, example being tried in Cook County in America. And this is being done in association with the International Blockchain Real Estate Association. So I would actually um, have a look at that. So that's, that's what's happening at the moment. So the idea behind it is that it's, it speeds up transactions. It means that someone who's got a record is guaranteed they've got a record. You can't falsify ownership. And this is why people are very, very interested in the blockchain technology in the property industry. Um, it is um, a complicated topic. It's taken me a lot of reading to um, understand it. I hope I've managed to explain a bit of it. But the whole the, the the buzz in the property game is that if you can create records of transactions and records of data in an immutable format, which people cannot falsify, it will it will um, speed up all transactions and all information thrown throughout the industry. And the property game is pretty slow to change as we all know but hopefully as we start to adopt the blockchain technology as an as a, um, a profession again we will see enormous cost savings and time savings i would say there are certain people who could lose out i do think that the legal profession is going to find that uh, their role will adjust and blockchain technology you may not have heard of it but it is coming very quick so that is my, hopefully that is of, um, of interest. If anybody has got any questions, please ask me now or ask me later. So hopefully that was not too complicated, guys, was it? Is it right? What do you think? Okay, should we move on? Next topic. Dale. Hello. You want to talk about auctions, I understand. Yeah, Can so we, yeah, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, so we've just had the first commercial property auctions of the year so just thought it would be useful to briefly take a look at the results um, which you may find somewhat surprising um, the first auction of 2000, 2017 was held by Allsops um, on the 10th of February so it was reported that Allsops raised 56 and a half million pounds at their auction um, which if you compare to the equivalent sale last year, um, that's almost 20 million pounds less. So it's a decline of around about 25%. Um, a week later, 
on the 17th of February, Stretton's had their first auction of 2017 and their auction raised eight and a half million pounds, it was reported, um, which is almost four million pounds less than its February 2016 auction. So that's a drop of about 32%, um, a success rate of 63%, which was actually their lowest success rate since 2008. Um, and then you have Acuitas, who had their first auction of the year last Thursday. Um, it was reported that the auction raised more than £20 million less than the equivalent sale last year. So a decline of about 40% with, with £35 million of assets sold compared to about £56 million last year. So the reason I mention this is what, what's the reason for the sharp decline in success rates for these first rounds of auctions this year? Um, is it a general slowdown in the market? Well, it's just been reported in the press that Jones Lang LaSalle's profits have plunged plunged 45% in 2016, which the firms attributed to a slowdown in the UK investment market. And, and they actually said the decline in profit, profitability was primarily UK focused. So maybe that's a reason. Um, another reason, is it because there are less buyers out there? I personally am not so sure this that's the case. Um, it's been widely reported that private investors are increasingly sort of turning their backs on the residential sector and buying commercial properties instead. Um, I think which is largely prompted by the 3% surcharge payable now on stamp duty for second homes. Uh, we here have seen a noticeable increase in new inquiries, particularly this month from investors who are new to the commercial market. Um, I mean, we're currently offering a bank investment for sale in Scotland. And within the last week, we've had inquiries from Turkish, Swedish, Swiss investors who are all first-time commercial property buyers in the UK. So maybe another reason is maybe the reserves are being set too high or maybe just the traditional borrow auction is not always, I'm sure sometimes it's the answer, but maybe it's not always the answer. Um, I don't know what sort of you... Richard or Neil think about it, but that's that that's my sort of overview of the uh, the the auction so far this year. Yes, I've got quite I've got particular uh, views, but um, I might temper them slightly. <laughs> Richard, Richard, thanks, guys. But can the decrease in sale volumes at the traditional ballroom auctions be attributed solely to a plateau plateauing investment market? Uh, some would say yes, 100%. The ballroom auctions are an excellent barometer for the market in general. But perhaps that, that's the issue. It is a generalization. You don't, you don't get auction buyers who don't also operate in the private treaty market. Those buyers and sellers operate across both sectors in order to invest and trade. However, there are private treaty buyers you won't find at a ballroom auction. Why not? It's intimidating if you're not experienced. It can be difficult to concentrate on the lots or lots you're interested in. A large percentage of the people there go to see their friends, not to necessarily participate in the auction. So as Dale said, we've seen a noticeable spike in new inquiries this month from both UK and overseas investors. Some of those want to buy one building only and others want to buy more than one building. The lot sizes they're interested in range from £200,000 to, say, £2 million. So effectively, the, the, the same demographic of lot sizes typically found in the auction catalogues. 
but an occasional or overseas investor, in our view, is highly unlikely to pitch up at a ballroom auction and try and buy a building. They want more control than that, but they also want certainty of knowing that they can buy a building and not get gazumped, or in fact, actually be taken seriously because they aren't a well-known name. We hear it time and time again that agents don't take them seriously. We can understand why, because it's difficult for an agency to build a business on a small, medium-sized deal here and there for someone who doesn't provide them with repeat business. So another entry point for these investors might be online auctions, which they can participate in from their own offices or their own homes, wherever they are in the world. There have been various eBay-style online auction concepts launched, but I don't know if anybody watching can actually name one. I can't, and the reason why is that an eBay-style auction for property is not going to work because once again, the key word is control. If you're bidding for a property, are you really going to make your, make your offer on a Monday and wait until Thursday to find out, find out if you've been successful? No, you're not. But if you can participate in an online auction taking place in real time from your desk, wherever the property, uh, sorry, wherever you may be, whether property will be sold or not, there and then, we believe there is a definitive space in the market for that. And click to purchase is a platform that provides the benefit of that to both agents and to buyers and to sellers. Good. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, yeah, when we actually as a firm were pioneering click to purchase um, as a business, we actually never created it initially to run auctions and we thought we would do auctions as, as an add on. And our concept for the auctions was very simple, is that we wanted to emulate the ballroom auction, whereas the online auction systems that are around at the moment have tried to change the way people auction property by eBay style. Well, we always thought that wasn't um, necessarily the correct way to go about trying to auction property. But the key point about the click-to-purchase auctions as opposed to the eBay style is that how can you run an auction business unless you can buy prior or buy post and the eBay style systems do not allow it. So I, I would um, at the next click to purchase at the next Google Hangout, we'll be able to demonstrate the latest version of the online auction, which I have to say is fantastic. Um, in terms of what's happening to the auctions and why their results are down, uh, I think the auctions are have had their day i think they are, will not survive going forward because on the basis that everything is going online and everything is mobile why would auctions be so different the property industry continues to operate on the basis of oh no we don't do things that way well you may recall that last week um, i was talking about um, how things are changing it's worth actually Having, it's worth actually having a look again at what's happening to the new age agencies. And Purple Bricks' share price keeps on going up. It's gone up about um, to another 10, 15% in the last two weeks. It's incredible. Let's, I've had a couple of questions about blockchain. Let's see if I can answer. Right, Rob has said, what happens if a hacker changes one of the blocks? The whole point, Rob, is that you can't. You've got, if you change one block, that block is decentralized and copied across multiple computers throughout the entire world. Therefore, if you're hacking into one particular computer, you've got to hack into multiple computers all at the same time, changing the blocks in every single computer. That's the whole point of a blockchain technology. I would watch the video that I mentioned to you, and that will give a bit more detail than I've given, but do watch some other YouTube interviews, and that will probably explain a bit more detail, but the point is you can't hack, and that's why it's immutable. Um, 
any signs of the land registry adopting blockchain? Not that I'm aware of. I've actually met with people from the Department of Business Innovation and Skills. What they're trying to do is actually bring down the period between exchanging, between agreeing a deal and getting the deal actually executed. Now, if the government do move land registry into blockchain, then you would have thought that will actually help speed things up. I've, I've got no idea how long it will take. I, I suspect it will happen and it will happen probably quicker than people realize. But at the moment, I've got no reason to believe they're doing it because they've got other, other things to worry about over the channel. Um, I, let me ask the question, money laundering. Well, I think the point about the think the point about money laundering is I think that's slightly different to blockchain technology. If you can, if you can get your money by into a into your Bitcoin wallet, for example, you have to get it in there. In, you, you you have to get it in there in a particular way. At the moment, you have to buy it by a currency exchange online. So you'll have to have a credit card. You'll have to transfer money. So that's the process where I would suggest where the money laundering point occurs the, the key point about buying um and, and selling things using bitcoin technology is that you don't actually have to know the person who's sending you the money and in fact you don't have to know the person you're sending the money to because once when someone sends you some money they send you a bitcoin you know it's in your wallet you know you've received it you don't need a third-party bank uh, um, verification as, uh, with a credit card company so i i'm not sure that money laundering and bitcoin technology are actually quite the same uh, uh, points. Um, can I steal an your blockchain encrypted property unless there is any, an ID process? Okay. When you create a blockchain technology for property, you can put out what any information you want into that chain. So once you've actually got proof of ownership or proof of ownership of data with your encrypted key you can't, it can't be stolen now that i think that is the point because um no one knows your encrypted key you have to you'd have to hack into someone's account and the point is because on multiple machines you can't hack in peter Boris says you can buy bitcoins on ebay but when you buy on eBay, don't you actually have to send, you have to send money, you have to transfer the money. So if you have to transfer the money, how do you transfer the money to eBay? You've got to get it into a bank account or you've got to get it onto a credit card company. So I think that is the point, as I said, where I think the money laundering uh, requirement would occur. I'm not an expert, this is just me as a property person. So I think that's it. I think we're done. I think we're done. Hopefully, we've, we've been on for half an hour. Um, I, hopefully, that was interesting. Guys, should we talk about the market? Anyone talk about the market? Tail? <laughs> Tail's ready. Tail's ready. <laughs> Richard? No? <laughs> Your head's in a working. No, uh, is it? No? Okay. Been on so long. All right. Well, let's. I think we normally talk about things we're selling and things um, what the what's happening in the market. I think we've actually covered two interesting topics this week. Um, I think we can probably pass this week on what we're selling and what's happened. We'll pick that up at the next um, hangout. The next hangout we have Mark Bruno, who's the um, Euro, the English head, UK head of Datcha 
which is an, a, a very interesting data information company who's going to be our guest. So it is on Thursday week. Um, so please join us then and we'll send out our normal links at that time. So thank you for watching.